to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Welcome to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack, and today our guest is Carl Krauskopf. So Carl got his start in real estate flipping houses, and today he's led real estate investment projects of over $20 million in the last four years, and now manages nearly $10 million worth of assets. He focuses much of his time on strategic visioning and business development, devoting much of his time to investor and broker relations and scaling the business. So Carl, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I am doing incredible, and I am so thankful to be here as well as report. So that $10 million is an old number. We closed on an apartment just three weeks ago here in downtown Seattle. And that was $3 million purchase. So we are north of the $10 million. We're about $12 million at this point. Awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. Super stoked about it. So Carl, can you give us a little bit background on um, where you come from, your background, and how you got started with real estate? Sure. So I am based in Seattle, run a multifamily uh, investing company right now. But prior to that, I was a 10-year corporate junkie who spent all my days, all my hours, you know, 60 plus hours a week in corporate strategy and business development. And I was entirely focused on building somebody else's business. And it was great. I loved it until I took off the blinders and understood that there really was an alternative way to generate income an alternative way to build a lifestyle that worked for myself and my family. And so slowly but surely, I took the kind of a traditional route. I bought a couple duplexes, small multifamily here in the Northwest and uh, quickly realized that all of my capital was getting tied up in those small multis and decided to take on a big fix and flip in, again, the Seattle market. That's where most of my projects have been and did incredibly well. So uh, did really well on one flip, turned that flip into three new flips, still in the same year. One ended up being a mutual victim of identity theft. That's a story in and of itself. And then the other two did really well and then kept growing that flip business over the course of about three years and made the uh, proverbial exit about two years ago at this point uh, for my corporate job and now running my business full-time in the investing space. So Carl, you live and you invest in the Seattle market. Yep. Why Seattle, first of all? Sure. I would say a couple of reasons, probably three. First and foremost, I mean, the easy and well-known one is backyard, right? I understand the market. I understand the zoning. Um, I can go see, feel, and touch. And uh, if there's any emergencies that come up, I can go fix it. Now, uh, again, I fixed and flipped for a while. I never touched tools. It was hard for me to fix anything. So, But it was easy for me to go meet a contractor, actually see the progress that was getting done. So that way I can know whether or not to pay them out. Now, if I was doing that across the country, it'd be a little bit harder to build a fix and flip company at that point. Now, I say all this, I've transitioned again out of the fix and flip. I did some a lot of ground up development and then moved into the longer term buy and watch uh, multifamily. But again, why Seattle location is great. Uh, Housing supply is super low. Most places are. We've got a lot of geographical constraints around us. We've got water on both sides. We've got mountains. 
So we've got a lot of constraints that restrict the amount that we can actually build. I will say it's not the absolute friendliest from a developer standpoint, meaning there's a lot of restrictions around uh, how and what you can build. The energy code is also restrictive in terms of cost. And so it further drives, uh, further increases the points of entry to actually be, be able to successfully operate, which is another reason competition. There's not a ton of competition in the, in the market. Um, as you know, you would go look at some of your other bigger markets, maybe Dallas, Phoenix, parts of Florida, Atlanta, really the Sun Belt, the Southeast region. There's a lot of competition there because it's easy to run the business there. So for Seattle, when we're looking at real estate markets, they always talk about landlord-friendly states versus not landlord-friendly states. Seattle tends to be not such a landlord-friendly state. Does it still make it an ideal place for you to invest in? And sure. how do you make it work? Sure. So Washington State and then the city of Seattle are... They do have their challenges in terms of owning and being a landlord. I would say the one thing that I tend to focus on is the grade of tenant, the quality tenant. And you look at who you're renting to uh, and you build your asset or you build your investment portfolio around your ideal tenant. What's your tenant's avatar, right? Mine is somebody that I want to be renting to somebody who's a high-tech or rather high-paid tech employee, high-paid nursing or uh, medical care employee as well. And so I curate to those specific tenants. I look at what those tenants want. And it's the ability to work close to their... Or rather, live close to their work, live close to commuting lines, also have enough space to have a work-from-home environment. So that usually means buying assets that are two-bedroom, one-bath, or even have a space that I can add in a uh, kind of WeWork or a common workspace, hoteling, if you will type environment. And so again, I focus on the assets that attract the high paying tenants. And why do I do that? One of the biggest reasons that make a landlord a state that's unfriendly to landlords is the restriction around eviction, the restriction around rent increases, etc. And so I look again at what causes those evictions, the highest cause of eviction, inability to pay, not making payments, constant late fees, and then you get into some of the other issues. Again, looking at the avatar of my tenant, these tenants have incredibly high income, incredibly strong credit scores. We're talking about tenants. My average portfolio of tenants is uh, five over 5x the income to rent ratio. They've got mid 700 credit scores. And these are people that don't want late fees. These are people that don't want to be evicted because they want to buy a home soon. So again, I look at the tenant quality. So in the Seattle market, because you mentioned that there's not a lot of competition in the market due to some of the challenges that you had talked about earlier, does that mean that the deal flow is also not as strong? And if so, how do you find these deals? That is a really good question. And I would say, yes, the deal flow is certainly one of the barriers to being able to scale at the rate that we want to. Now, how do we do that? It's being creative, working with the uh, primarily working with sellers that are in a distressed mentality or in a distressed position. Right now, the hottest trend is distressed from a mortgage standpoint, right? We've got a lot of balloon payments coming up over the course of the last six months and another six to 12 months in advance of us. The medium primarily focuses on office space and other commercial real estate. 
obviously there's a handful of multifamily balloon payments coming up. And so again, I like to focus on having those conversations with the sellers who have loan maturities coming up, building a win-win solution with them, right? My number one focus is how low can I get my cost basis? The seller is how quickly, what's their assurance that somebody's going to close? So that way they don't go into any kind of potential foreclosure or potential loan modification issues. How did Seattle perform during like the COVID timeframe? And then how does it performing now? Are you seeing rent increases comparable to what we were seeing in the last couple of years? Is it slowing down? What have you seen so far? Sure. So certainly during COVID, if you owned the wrong type of asset, and when I say the wrong type of asset, it's where you were not buying uh, based on your ideal avatar, somebody that was high paid. And so a lot of folks that I know, a lot of investors that I know did definitely have the issues during COVID of non-payment, cancel culture, cancel rent mentality. Luckily, we had not a single one. I've still yet to ever charge a late fee in the 5 years that I've been operating. I've still yet to have any evictions because of non-payment and it's been great. Again, I go back to the tenant quality. Now that being said, uh, you know, obviously we did have especially in the core of Seattle, we did have a lot of some slowdown in terms of rent growth and that's because like a lot of other markets would have seen in the core is a flight out of the core of the city, right? Going to the suburbs going to the east side of the mountains here in Washington state where they can get more land for much cheaper but now we are seeing certainly a return you know Amazon one of our big employers here callback employees not full time but more presence in the office a couple months ago in May and oh, there was a report from uh, I think it was Costar that said something to the effect of that foot traffic has increased by 60%. Restaurant transactions are up nearly 100%. So we are definitely seeing a lot more foot traffic in the core, which is fantastic. That being said, now we're also going to be seeing, and we have seen rent growth, demand growth, demand surge for affordable rent in areas that are well positioned relative to employment hubs. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. What about in terms of operations and for the Seattle market itself? Are there any certain things in terms of operations like that are unique to the market that you typically wouldn't see compared to the other markets? Sure. I would say being really tight with the city council, knowing what's coming down the pipeline, and also obviously being at the state level. Since I don't operate in other states right now, I don't know how common it is for operators to, again, attend city council meetings, attend special hearings regarding rent control, attend and really truly voice our concerns. 
that's something that I'm, I would say, uh, active in. I'm also active, you know, making sure that investors in my network are also being part of. And so now I'd certainly say that from our perspective, we're very active in the geopolitical side to, again, ensure that our voices are being heard. I would say that's probably the number one thing that I didn't think about getting into investing is being involved in the geopolitical scene, specifically in uh, multifamily. Are there any other metrics or anything in the Seattle market that's unique that other people coming from the out-of-state investors typically wouldn't know unless you were boots on the ground or you live in that market? Sure. So obviously, again, some of the restrictions you want to be cognizant of where you're buying, what you're buying. So you're getting, you're basing your asset off of your ideal tenant, your tenant avatar. So again, look at your location, look at your unit mix, look at your target rent to really build out that kind of portfolio, so to speak. And then I would say that's the multifamily in a nutshell. From a development standpoint, again, another to quote another co-star report that came out earlier this week is that all along the West Coast, Seattle, obviously as well, we saw 60% reduction in apartment unit starts for the first six months of the year as compared to last year. So 60% drop. What we're seeing there is an absolute just bottleneck in terms of supply. Seattle also ranked the fastest growing large metro in the US from 2021 to 2022. So between surge of demand, meteoric low starts in multifamily and single family, we're certainly going to see, in my opinion, a surge in price simply looking at a supply and demand relationship. So along there, if you've got the opportunity to buy, now is a great time to do it. We're in what July 2023. Mark my words, we're going to look back at in July 2025. It's going to be a radically different scene. The next one would be completely opposite end of the spectrum for multifamily is on the single family side. So we have a huge... The city of Seattle is trying to do some uh, towards increasing density, allowing more density. One of the things that they've done, well as many other cities in the country, allow ADU, accessory dwelling units, detached accessory dwelling units, DADUs, becoming much more prevalent, not only here in the city, but obviously across the state, across the country. The city of Seattle, one thing that is really unique that I don't know is being done anywhere else is that they are allowing the uh, individual units. So if you were to have a single family home on a lot large enough to add a detached ADU, the city allows you, it's actually the state, but the state and the city allow you to parcel off or create a condominium essentially with your single family property. And then you've got a unit A and a unit B, and you can go take that unit B, get separate financing, construction financing, long-term debt. You can go sell it separately. And so these are really nice plays for folks that are both either homeowners or small single uh, single family uh, owners and investors to really be able to to tap into uh, the equity of their backyard, right? I had just done, I just completed one build, another build this month where it's my primary residence. And I essentially created about $330,000 worth of equity from my backyard because I built a home for about $350,000 cost to build. And uh, the appraised value is 680000 
So right there, I'm going to be able to refinance all my cash out. I'll be able to cash flow and eh, not much, a couple hundred bucks a month. But the real value there is truly the net worth bump um, for how many hours? 10 hours over the course of six months. Pretty easy. So for the ADU permits, how long are those taking to obtain? Sure. You know, certainly that's one of the unfriendly aspects of Seattle, right? For the most part, anything that's custom uh, is usually going to take you anywhere from, let's say, 8 to 12 months. That includes townhome constructions, single-family detached ADUs. However, the city of Seattle, I want to say it was about one or two years ago, implemented a streamlined design process where they went out to the market, all the architects, and they solicited these ideas and these plans. And they really created a decent ecosystem amongst the architects to say, come back to us with some kind of design, some kind of plan, construction plan that we can essentially give a rubber stamp to. And if someone were to bring it to us, we have a very streamlined process timeline to get this done. So it now takes, I would say, soup to nuts to get a permit, five weeks. That includes your boundary survey. That includes getting your design, getting the full inspection, the review, and the approval of the city, five weeks. So uh, it took me to go from raw land, unpermitted land, to a fully built, either sellable or rentable. I'm renting it. Detached ADU. It took me, uh, what, four and a half months. So I started this process in uh, February, late February. And I've got a fully built, rented, rented property in the backyard. So Carl, what's next for you? I would say continue to do what I'm doing. Uh, continue to scale in the multifamily space. Continue to focus on the portions and the types of assets that meet my tenant avatar in the city of Seattle and some of the suburbs of Seattle. Some expansion uh, concepts out to... Uh, I see uh, you guys got some stuff in Greensboro. So in the North Carolina Research Triad and Triangle, uh, looking at some assets out there as well. So Carl, how has real estate investing impacted your life? It's given me a lot of flexibility. I would say that when I first started reading books five years ago, it's there was this idea of let me go get ten thousand dollars worth of cash flow and uh, I can retire in Thailand. Now I've been to Thailand a couple of times since then. It's fantastic, but um, it's radically different. My my uh, my mentality is completely shifted. Now it's no longer you know make a certain cash flow and just do nothing. Now it's how big of a business can I build? How many lives can I impact? And how can how can I change the world uh, one house at a time? So if there's one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started, what would that be? <laughs> Let's see how cliche I can go with this response. <laughs> the two best times to buy real estate, right? It's what was it 10 years ago and and, and right now. Uh, I would say can really understand uh, your market, really understand the zoning uh, and uh, take small incremental risks. And what is the one thing that sets the successful people apart in real estate investing? Consistency. Absolutely. Consistency, consistency. It's really being able to sit down and stick to a budget, stick to a schedule, and really work on uh, the blocking and tackling. So Carl, how can our listeners find out more about you and what you're doing? Sure. So I love my LinkedIn channel. So uh, linkedin.com 
Oh my God. Just look me up on LinkedIn, Carl Krauskopf. I don't know all the backslashes and whatnot. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook, and I will be having a website, gold-mf.com. Awesome. Carl, thank you so much for your time today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And I'm looking forward to uh, heading down there to the Orange County. Be sure to bring your sunscreen. It's a hot one out here. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) All right. Thanks, Carl. Cheers. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Zayla and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.